You can turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy this morning. If you've been around for a little while, you know that a few years ago I started a little tradition uh, honoring select moms on Mother's Day. The, the tradition actually dates all the way back to 1876. It's when a woman named Anna Reeves Jarvis was teaching a Sunday school class in West Virginia. And it was on Memorial Day that she was teaching the class, and as she finished the Sunday school class, she prayed a prayer that one day there would be a day that honored moms. She was thinking specifically of the mothers who had lost their sons in the Civil War. Uh, Her daughter was sitting in that class, uh, little Anna, and uh, she heard her mom's prayer, and that prayer just stuck with her. And so as she grew older, she continued to think about that, and at her mom's memorial service, Uh, She decided to honor her mother by handing out a carnation, which was her mom's favorite flower. She handed out the carnation to uh, each of the guests who came to the funeral or the memorial service. Well, that little tradition spread from one memorial service, and it moved from state to state. It even moved into Canada and down into Mexico. And on uh, May 8, 1914, President Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson designated the second Sunday in May as, quote, a day for displaying the American flag and for the public expression of love and reverence for the mothers of the country. And so we have traditionally since that day, we've honored that second Sunday in May. And what we've done here at Grace is we've honored a couple select moms. Um, I want to honor two moms this morning. The first is uh, the newest mother. So if you are a first-time mom and you have been a mom just uh, six months or less, would you please stand? Okay, got to run off and I got extra flowers. Okay, four months or less, three months or less. Okay, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna hand out two, so you stand back up because <laughs> I have extra. Okay. Okay, can you speak loudly? Tell me your name and how long you've been a mom. Um, my name is Audrey, and I've been a mom for five weeks. Okay, Audrey's been a mom for five weeks. <laughs> and I'm impressed that you made it to church. Okay, we had another mom back here. All right, can you stand up? Speak loudly. Tell us uh, your name and how long you've been a mom. Leslie, three months today. Okay. This is Leslie. She's been a mom for three months. Okay, now we want to honor the uh, mother of longest duration. Yeah, I selected my words carefully. Okay, so let's begin with, uh, if you've been a mom 45 years or longer... Moms, 45 years or longer. I know we have some. Okay. If you have been a mom 50 years or longer. If you have been a mom 55 years or longer. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, Joanne. If you've been a mom 60 years or longer. Do we have just Joanne? Okay. All right. It's Joanne. I said I wasn't going to stand up again this year. Okay, Joanne, how long have you been a mom? 63. 63 years. And how long have you been a mom? 61. 61 years. Thank you. Oh, Elizabeth, hold on. Elizabeth, how long have you been a mom? Well, that counts then as 65. You got it. Okay. Hold on. There you go, Elizabeth. Congratulations. 
Well, when I was a college pastor, I never got to do a uh, Mother's Day sermon uh, for a couple of reasons, actually. One is, um, you know, I didn't want to. My wife and I, we, we uh, wrestled with infertility for several years, and so Mother's Day, Father's Day were kind of rough days for us. Um, also, college students don't really want to hear a Mother's Day sermon, so I didn't do a Mother's Day sermon. Um, I love doing a Mother's Day sermon now because we have children now, and I have seen the incredible sacrifice required to be an excellent mom. I've seen what my wife does for our children, and so it seems like just a a small little token of appreciation to set aside a Sunday and talk about Mother's Day. Uh, I've also learned by watching my wife that what moms do is a perfect paradigm for discipleship. Discipleship is investing your life, giving truth and love to draw someone else closer to Christ or to build them up in Christ. And that is exactly what moms do. And so we're going to talk about moms this morning. But really, in my opinion, what moms do for us uh, serves as a paradigm for all of us. There's something for all of us to learn from moms. I want to give you a quote here as we begin from C. Everett Koop. He said, Life affords no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than the raising of the next generation which in my opinion applies whether that is biological or spiritual, to pour our lives into others is the greatest opportunity and the greatest responsibility we have, that is discipleship. So this morning we're going to look at the example of one uh, biblical mother and how this worked out in her life. Now the story of this mom and her son actually begins in Acts chapter 16. You keep your place in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read to you. Acts chapter 16 verse 1. It says, Paul also came, came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now, what hopefully you notice immediately as you read this verse is this was less than a perfect environment, okay? It was a marriage between a believer and a non-believer. Jewish mom believed, her husband did not believe. She was trying to raise her son, Timothy, to grow into a godly man, and she was doing it by herself. So some of you may be in one of those less than ideal circumstances where you're raising a child by yourself because there's a divorce or a spouse has died or maybe a spouse is not a believer and you're, you're trying to raise up godly offspring by yourself. The wonderful message of this example is God is good and God is powerful And God can do wonderful things through you, whether you are united in your marriage and raising as husband and wife children together, or you're doing it on your own. God is sovereign, God is in control, and he can do powerful, powerful things through you. So this morning, what we want to do is we're going to take some lessons from Eunice. That's Timothy's mom. What are we going to learn from Eunice? How did she do it? I want you to read with me 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, he says, says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy because Timothy was his spiritual child, but Paul acknowledged at the beginning of each letter that he was not the first one who made an investment in Timothy's life and not necessarily even the one who made the greatest investment 
in Timothy's life. There are four things that Eunice passed on to her son Timothy. The first is her genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. According to a recent survey by the International Bible Society, 83% of American Christians trust Jesus Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. Those who are Christians within the United States trust Christ, 83% of them between the ages of 4 and 14. Another 10% between the ages of 15 to 30, and then just another 4% after the age of 30. The most strategic time for sharing the gospel with people is when they're children, ages 4 to 14. We did a survey here at Grace Bible Church in 2005, and we found that this was true of our church as well. The median age for people trusting Christ was 12. It's the most strategic time that you can speak the words of the gospel, emphasize the gospel, and draw people to Christ is when they are children. And parents, you have the greatest opportunity to do that in your home. Now, one caveat. I'm going to issue several as we go through this and talk about the examples of moms. Mom and dad, parents, uh, you're not in control of your kid's salvation. Okay? Take a deep breath. You can't make your kids trust Christ. It's a supernatural process. God is in control. Okay? But there are a few things that you can do. I'm going to give you three things that you can do. You can pray, you can protect, and you can instruct. This morning, I'm going to give you advice that we gathered from several moms throughout the church. Blake and I sent out an email that solicited advice from some moms who are a little more experienced and down the road. And I'm going to, to be giving you some quotes from them, some of their gems, some of their pearls. Uh, one of the things that they emphasized over and over and over again is pray for your kids. We talk a lot about praying They said, pray for your kids. Pray for your kids' friends. Because very quickly, there are stronger influences sometimes even than the home. Pray for your kids' friends. Pray for the the media they consume. Pray for the culture around them. Pray for all of these things. If you can do one thing for your kids, pray for them. You can pray, but you can also instruct. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Actually, uh, 2 is protect. Chapter 3, verse 13. Paul writes, and he's writing to Timothy, remember his uh, disciple, his spiritual son. And he says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, One of the things you'll notice in both of Paul's letters to Timothy is that he warns him about the dangers he will face. Timothy was his, his number one disciple, and he wanted him to survive spiritually and to continue to lead spiritually. And so he's consistently warning him of the things that he is going to be attacked by. Parents, I am not advocating that we become, uh, what is the term, helicopter parents, right? Always hovering, never allowing our kids to take any risks whatsoever, never exposing them to any danger. Not advocating that at all, but what I am saying is, as parents, our job is to protect our children. They live in a, a really sinful culture, just like every culture that's gone before. The world is broken, and the world wants to destroy their lives, and as parents, It is our responsibility to understand what's happening in the culture. How could that culture influence our children and to allow them to be exposed to things in our timing as we see they are mature enough to handle these things? At some point in time, they're going to leave our house, they're going to go out into the big bad world, and they're going to see it all, right? Nothing you can do about that. And Jesus said, in fact, I am not removing you out of the world. I want you to be salt and light in the world. We want to train our children to be 
salt and light, to be missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they go, but there are things that they're not ready for at different points in time, and part of our job as parents is to protect. Okay? Third thing we can do is we can instruct. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And Paul is not speaking primarily of himself here. He says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. You have known these things from childhood because you have been taught these things. We need to instruct our children specifically in the truth of the gospel. So three thoughts. As we speak to our children, use appropriate words. Words appropriate to their age and what they can understand. One of the most challenging jobs of being a parent is you need to be an expert at every age. And an expert at communicating at every age. Four-year-olds don't understand substitutionary atonement. So we don't talk about that at our house. Four-year-olds can understand when they break something that must be fixed and they haven't banked a lot of cash, someone else is going to have to pay for it. Okay? They can understand someone else paying for something on their behalf. Okay? And we need to learn at every age to use appropriate words. And then I would say as parents, we need to learn to stretch them constantly. Okay? Appropriate words, uh, but also accurate words. As we're trying to get the gospel into their language, we still need to be very, very, very careful that we use accurate and true words about what the gospel is. We need to make sure that they never misunderstand that the gospel, that becoming a Christian is an absolutely free gift. It's not by being good. A person doesn't become a Christian by being good. The way that we do that is we model for them unconditional love. We communicate to them over and over and over again, I love you, period. I love you, period. And I will always love you, period. That's unconditional love. You belong to me. No, I'm not pleased that you just broke that thing or whatever, uh, but I love you. Yeah, I, I grow very frustrated with professional theologians who don't get this. And I wonder if it's because they were not raised in a home in which there was absolute, unconditional love. Because the family and the love of godly parents toward their children is the model for the gospel and how the gospel works. God loves us unconditionally. Knowing all that we've done, knowing all that we will do, he says, I love you and I love you so much I'm going to give my son Jesus Christ to die for your sins. I love you. Okay? We need to make sure that we use accurate words. Don't confuse it. It's not by good works. It's not by praying a prayer. Okay? We don't want to confuse our kids and push them to pray a prayer, pray a pray, prayer. That, that's not the issue. Okay? Uh, it's not by asking Jesus into their heart. Okay? And I realize I may step on toes here for some. You don't become a Christian by asking Jesus into your heart. For kids, that's really concrete language and it's hard. I remember uh, saying that to, to one of our kids early on and they couldn't understand how Jesus could be in my heart and in your heart and your heart and your heart. How can he be multiple places? You know, and I began to realize, no, that's not the issue. It's not asking Jesus into your heart. What is the issue? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that? And that he can give you life that lasts forever? If you do, why don't we just stop right now and tell him? And then you begin to teach them how to pray. 
just talking to God. Tell God, thank you. Thank you that you gave Jesus to die for my sins so I don't have to pay for my sins. Thank you. And thank you that I have life that lasts forever. And then you reemphasize to them that it's just when they believe. That would be my third point. Use accurate words, use appropriate words, and then use a lot of words. Okay? Talk about this over and over and over and over again in your home. Okay? Even after your kids trust Christ, keep talking about the gospel. Reemphasize it. Okay? So it becomes solid in their minds that they are secure in their relationship with you and they are secure in their relationship with God. They belong to him. They have been purchased and adopted into his family just because they believe. Okay? So we can pray, we can protect, and we can instruct. Second thing that we learn from Eunice is this. She passed along her devotion to God's word. Again, read with me chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. When Paul refers to the sacred scripture here, or all scripture in verse 16, he is talking primarily about the Old Testament, right? New Testament is in process of being written. What he's referring to is your mom taught you the Old Testament. She taught you from Genesis to Malachi, and she taught you all the way from childhood. One of our moms made this observation. She said, they're never too young to discuss the things of the Lord. Really. The discussion may be quite primitive, but you can do some pretty valuable teaching in those talks. Uh, We began talking to our kids about all kinds of doctrinal issues, not just the gospel, when they were very, very young. And it was simple terms. I've told you we uh, we taught uh, the Trinity to our son, which was, uh, it was a limerick. It was three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. And we made a dance to it, too. And you dance through the house. Well, you know, ask our kids now, what's the Trinity? It's three persons, one God. Is that the whole picture of the Trinity? Well, probably not. It's pretty complicated. But got the basic idea, okay? From childhood... Timothy began to learn the basic truths of the Bible. Now, how do we do it? Let me give you three ideas. First, you have to be in the Word yourself. Moms and dads, you must be in the Word yourself. You have to model this yourself. You can't teach your children the value of loving God's Word if you yourself don't value and love God's Word, and you prove it by being in the Word yourself. Again, one of our quote from one of our moms, make your first priority your personal walk with the Lord. It all flows down from there. Another said, don't just tell them to study the word and pray, but show them your life by your life. Share quiet times with them so that they can learn how to have one when they are older themselves. And one mom actually would, she would lay her Bible open in the kitchen because the kitchen is the center of the house, right? Okay. So she'd lay it open and whatever she was reading or studying would be right there laying in the kitchen. And, and moms, I understand, sometimes what, what a quiet time looks like, what time with the Lord looks like is reading the word as you're passing by, you know, and cooking or cleaning or wiping or doing whatever. Uh, my wife and I, we call that better than nothing. There's a better than nothing quiet time. We call it BTN, actually. Sometimes on our dates, if we get a walk through Target and finish our sentences, there's nobody around. It's just us, not the kids. We say, that's a date, BTN, better than nothing, Okay. <laughs> You live in a, in a different world when you have children and there's so much chaos in the house, but you can still keep the word at the center. Okay? It's right there. Okay? And you model that. 
So be in the word yourself. Second, bring the word into all of life. The fundamental paradigm for for spiritual parenting is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, not when you just go to church and drop off for Sunday school. It's, this is just a part of all of life. Okay? When you sit in your house, when you're outside of your house, you're walking by the way, you're in the car, you're driving to soccer practice, you're driving to school. When you lie down, when you rise up all the way throughout the day, you are bringing God into every conversation. As adults, maybe you don't do that yourself right now. Maybe this conversation about parenting is going to stretch you to begin to think about God in everything in your life. What does God think about this situation at work? What does God think about this situation at school, the situation in the neighborhood, the situation at home, the situation with a friend where there's a conflict, where you've been hurt? Bringing God into all of the conversation. That's how you teach your children to love God's word. Bring it in everywhere. We talked about God at the dinner table. We read books, we sang, we analyzed hymns, we prayed together at dinner and at bedtime. And whenever we were afraid, hurt, or angry, we had fun and the Lord was always a part of it. That's what I'm talking about, simply uh, making God a part of all conversations. Now, uh, a little foretaste, a little hint. In the fall, we were working on rolling out a new curriculum for our children's ministry. And the reason we've chosen this new curriculum is because it gives parents a lot more resources to use with their kids to bring God into the conversation. A lot more things we can send home with you, resources that are online, so that we can help equip you to get God into all of life. Okay? So that's the second one. Bring the word into all of life. Third, be ready for interruptions. Be ready for interruptions. Some of the most significant spiritual conversations have occurred when I was in the middle of something and just stopped, looked them in the eyes, and listened. Their thoughts and questions usually don't occur at convenient times or even in an organized way. Plan on it. Plan on being interrupted. So you can stop and set aside whatever you're doing. And if you know ahead of time, this is going to happen and it's going to happen throughout the day, it's a little easier to adjust to. Another mom said this, dust can keep but moments pass. That's good, isn't it? I realize that at some point in time, the laundry has to be done. Dads, when you get home, you're not off duty. Okay? If you can step in and you can help with laundry and dishes and vacuuming and cleaning, then mom can feel like throughout the day she has the space to stop and listen, whether it's with small children playing on the floor or picking up kids from school, that there is that space to sit and listen and be engaged and pay attention. Now, all of this requires time. It can't be done without time and without mental space. Let me read to you a quote from one of our moms. She said this, Don't get too busy outside the home. When you say yes to one thing, then you are saying no to something else. Don't say yes to serving on a committee if it means saying no to time, playing with your kids, or no to being patient, or no to running your home well. Your kids need your undivided attention for the biggest portion of their days. Doing too much brings stress into the picture and keeps you from interacting with the kids with wisdom. Be with your kids. Although significant conversations about the Lord certainly can and do occur during planned time with the Lord, honestly, 
Most of them have occurred as we are just going through the motions of the day. For example, one of my children trusted Christ on the playground at McDonald's. One trusted Christ in the car while we were running errands. If I'm gone more than I'm with them, those conversations won't happen. And as a friend of mine told me years ago, and I have repeated to you many, many times, there is absolutely no such thing as quality time. Time is a quantity. We all get the same amount. And we are not victims. We choose how we will spend that time. And those quality moments, they happen when we have a greater quantity. You can't program, ready, let's have a quality moment here. Let's have a quality conversation. Let's go deep, quick. It just... It happens, it doesn't happen. You cannot program those things. Time is a quantity. Give absolutely as much of it as you can to your children. Dads, this applies to you as well. It may require personal or professional sacrifices for mom or for dad to have more time with children. And there is just this very narrow window of opportunity in which you can invest in your kids. Now, I understand sometimes there are economic hardships that require travel for dad or they may require mom to go back to work. I understand that. But at the same time, we can always make other sacrifices to give more time to our children. Do not miss out. Do not miss out. I wouldn't have believed it and known it until I had kids of my own. Everybody said, well, it just flies. It goes so fast. My son is nine. That means half of our time with him at home is probably already gone. Wait a second. We just had him. It's that fast. Okay. So... Learn and grow in wisdom even before you find yourself turning around and saying, where did it go? Okay. All of this requires time. So two things she did. She passed on her genuine faith. She passed on her devotion to God's word. Third, she passed along her godly character. I want you to look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1 now and verse 5. We're going to focus on one word in particular. Paul says, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. First dwelt in your grandmother Lois, also in your mother Eunice. It is in you as well, I'm sure of it. It is a sincere faith. Sincere in Greek is that word uh, unhypocritical, that is not wearing a mask. The actors were the hypocrites and they moved from mask to mask, step off stage, play another role. What Paul is saying here, Timothy, you and your grandmother and your mom, you have a faith that's not playing the game. It's not just for public consumption, it is genuine, it is real. It is uh, what you actually believe in your heart is reflected in who you are and the choices that you make. It's reflected in your character. And that character was passed down generation to generation to generation. Now, what do I mean by uh, character specifically? Great illustration of this, Proverbs chapter 31, about uh, the excellent wife. It starts like this. This is the introductory verse. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. Sometimes that word excellent is translated virtuous. In plural, the plural form, it refers to armies. Interesting, huh? Okay, that word for excellent or virtuous in plural is armies. Okay, a whole host of armies and soldiers. The root of the word means strength. Okay, it's powerful. What the writer here is talking about in Proverbs is a woman who is strong. Okay, virtue is character. One commentator said this, said she possesses all the virtues, the honor, the strength to do the rest of the things that the poem will set forth. 
And the poem will talk about a variety of character qualities. One in particular it mentions is industry. She is not lazy. She is working constantly on behalf of her family. Not just that, she's compassionate. She's working for those outside of her family. These are character qualities. And the way that we pass them on fundamentally is by modeling them. Certainly we talk about character with our kids, but more importantly, we model character with our children. And Paul said of himself, said to the church in Corinth, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm willing to serve as a model for you. Or the church in Philippi said, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, now go out and practice those same things. Paul said, let me be a model for you. Okay? So we pass on character by modeling character to our children. Now, again, I want to give you another um, caveat that kind of allows you to catch your breath a little bit. This is advice from one of our moms. She said this, relax. It's not your job to create a perfect child or to be a perfect parent. Neither is possible, no matter what your friends try and make you believe about their kids. (laughs) Parenting is rooted in God's grace, not my perfection. Amen. So true. You will never be perfect. Set your sights very high and set your goals very high for what you want to become as a godly man or a godly woman and what you want your children to become as godly men, godly women. But remember, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. And part of a sincere or a genuine faith is being willing to admit when you do mess up. Some of our greatest conversations with our children were when we asked forgiveness of them. I blew my cool. I got angry. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said that. shouldn't have said it that way. Please forgive me. Wow, that gets their attention. We're always telling them, ask forgiveness, you know, forgive. And then when we ask forgiveness, we admit we're not perfect. I tell my kids that too, not as if they don't know it. (laughs) Sorry, please forgive me. We're not perfect. Mommy and daddy, we are doing our absolute best. And sometimes we we will mess up, we'll fail. But we do promise this. We promise that we'll ask your forgiveness. And we just ask you to be gracious to us and forgive us like we forgive you. That's genuineness. It's sincerity. And speaking of, if you are struggling with figuring out how to be a Christian parent, godly parent, don't be too proud to ask a friend. Ask someone. Look around. There, there are a lot of women who are a little bit further along, got some wisdom. Go to them and ask. Okay? Uh, if you get it, become part of our, our, our women's ministry. Got morning Bible studies, they've got evening Bible studies for the moms who have to work. Find a woman in there who's a little bit further down the road and ask advice, ask help. Talk to the staff in the children's ministry department if you've got a particular issue and you want some help. We're in the youth ministry department or in the college department about your college kids. Don't be afraid to ask. That's part of having a genuine, sincere faith is acknowledging none of us have this whole thing figured out. There's been nothing in my life that has humbled me more or made me feel more incompetent than being a parent. And at each stage, I'm feeling it more and more. I'm not growing in that confidence necessarily. Okay, so we'll go on to the fourth one. She passed along her God-centered values. Okay, God-centered values. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and verse 19. Philippians 2, verse 19. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He had not been able to come to them, so he said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely, sincerely be concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Uh, Timothy was Paul's favorite, uh, most effective disciple. He was the one he sent on really hard assignments. And the reason he did was because they were of kindred spirits. Timothy valued what Paul valued. Timothy valued first God's interests above his own, and he valued others' needs above his own. And Paul says, you know what? That is a hard person to find because everybody else is out here, and even if they're ministering with me, serving with me, they're doing it even for their own personal gain. It's hard to find someone who's genuinely interested in Christ's interests and in the needs of others. Now, where did Timothy learn this? Certainly he saw some of it from Paul, but according to Acts chapter 16... He was already a man of godly character before Paul ever met him. And he learned that from his mother and from his grandmother. They passed that along to him. Godly values, godly character, loving others and loving Christ's interests even more than their own. How do we instill this in our children? Well, this is the the character quality of empathy. Being able to be concerned more with others than with ourselves. It is not... Consistent with the fallen nature of mankind. Okay? The, the fundamental fallen nature of mankind is we look out for ourselves first and foremost. So it is a, it, it's a character quality, it's a value, it's a skill that has to be groomed and developed within every single one of us. So one of the things we do with our kids is we talk a lot about the needs of others. Okay? Those around us, when, when there was an earthquake and tsunami in Japan, we talked about that. What do these people need and how can we help? And we prayed for them. And we let them see some news stories so they could see the significance of it. Again, this is an age-appropriate kind of matter. We talk about our missionaries and how our missionaries live. We read our missionary letters. One mom said they put up a big map and they put pins in where they have missionaries they support. And then they sit down and they read those letters. Well, we do the same. We don't have the map, but we read the letters with our children. We talk about what are those missionaries struggling with? How do they live uh, when uh, my wife or one of the kids is sick and they have to stay home, sometimes they'll have what, what they call Chinese uh, home church, okay, house church. Okay, they have to stay home. They're going to have just family. It's going to be a small gathering. They can't leave the house. And so they speak quietly. They sing quietly. They read the word quietly. And they imagine what is it like for so many believers on the other side of the world who can't openly stand up and sing and praise without maybe being put in jail or having uh, to lose their job or this kind of thing. We help them learn how to Feel what other people feel and pray and give. And we talk about what we give financially to our missionaries. And we remind them the reason we give financially is because our money is not our own. All that we have is a gift from God. And so he gives some some of it for us to use for ourselves and our needs. And then also we need to help meet the needs of others. So we're constantly pushing on them to not just think of themselves. One mom wrote this. She said, serve in your church. They need to see that although they are important, they aren't the center of your universe. They aren't the center of their universe. They're the center of any universe, in fact. Okay? Serve in your church, I'd say serve in the community, serve in your neighborhood, and take them along with you. There's a, a family in our neighborhood that whenever they find out about a need in our neighborhood, they load up their boys and they take them to this person's house and they serve, whether it's doing yard work or bringing something to eat, and they never receive any money for it. And I will tell you, these boys, they know how to serve. They're genuine, generous and hardworking young men. And they serve even as a model 
uh, for my children. My children have been the beneficiaries of these boys serving them. Okay? It's just practice, doing it over and over and over again. Now, how do we apply this? Let me just say that pouring our lives into others so that they can know Jesus Christ and they can grow in Jesus Christ, there is no higher calling that we can have in life. There is, there's no greater privilege than to do this with our time and with our money, with our energy, okay? whether that is with your own children, with someone else's children, whether you're, you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a mentor or a friend, to invest your life in someone else's life so they grow in Jesus Christ is the greatest privilege you could ever have. So use your time well in that. I'm going to leave you with the quote from, uh, actually from my mom. She told us this to me uh, year after year after year, uh, particularly reemphasizing this when we had small children. She said, the nights are long, but the years are short. Okay? The nights are long, but the years are short. May we all use our time wisely in the things that really matter for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for uh, this model of what godly mothers can do uh, in our lives. And I thank you for my mom. I thank you for the investment that she made in me and um, that I would not, in fact, be the person that I am without her investment. Father, I pray for each of us here that uh, we would uh, give thanks for what we received. I pray, Father, that we'd be gracious in the things that we did not receive. I pray, Father, that we would all learn from this model this morning uh, of, of Eunice and Timothy and uh, this model of discipleship, pouring our lives into others and, and valuing the things that really matter for all of eternity, Christ's interests, the needs of others, others growing in Jesus Christ, knowing him. Father, let us not spend our time on things that simply do not matter. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. God bless you and moms especially. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.